Are you an aspiring creative in entertainment, business, fashion, design, or the arts? Do you want to elevate your creative passion project to the next level? Then this show is for you. Whether you want a career in television, film, radio, literature, music, or beyond, Creative Breakthrough will show you how to take your dreams and turn them into reality. This show will not only leave you feeling motivated and inspired, but also provide you real-life tools to pursue the creative journey you have always wanted. I'm your host, creative coach, and chicken wing lover, Shireen Kassab, a.k.a. The Funny Brown Girl. Yes, I have an unhealthy obsession with chicken wings. Now, get ready to flex your creative muscle. Laura Diaz is the definition of hard work, grit, and hustle. A former news anchor and TV reporter, today she's known as Lady Diaz, an on-air radio personality on Orlando's number one radio show, Johnny's House. Last year, Laura decided to pursue her passion for feminism and women's issues by starting a nonprofit and a podcast called Face of a Feminist. Laura shares with us her story, including what it means to hustle and how she's dealt with the haters, especially when it comes to her race and ethnicity. So what are we waiting for? Let's get into it. Laura, welcome to the guest chair. Thank you. What's up, Shireen? Not much. Thanks for joining us today. I'm so excited. Let's just get started from the beginning. I'd love to know when your creative journey began. My journey probably started when I was like eight years old because I knew right away when I was a kid that I wanted to be on the news. I wanted to be a reporter my whole life. So I spent my entire life doing whatever I had to do that would get me closer to that goal. So even in middle school, I was in the little news program, you know, um, and then in high school, the same thing. I did the news, uh, whatever I had, whatever journalism, newspaper classes, you know, all of the extracurriculars. I was on the little local news in high school and just whatever I could do to gain more experience as a reporter and a journalist. And, and then of course, in college at um, University of Florida, I took the journalism program. So it's just, it's been a a whole lifetime leading up to achieving my goal of being on the news. And then after interning and doing the crazy things you have to do to get onto the news, um, I became a reporter. And I was probably, you know, it was right after college. I probably sent out a hundred tapes um, that I had acquired, I, I created my demo reel in during my internship. So it's basically like just me doing fake reports that that you get, you know, while you're interning, I was interning at channel six, which is a CBS local Orlando affiliate. And I was interning there and I would just go out with the real reporters. And when they were done, I would ask the camera guy to let me do a fake one. And um, so that created my demo reel of fake reports. And then that is what I used to send out to actual employers and say, hey, look what I could maybe do. <laughs> like, and that's how you get a job. And then you have to take whatever job you can take. So um, I, after sending out 100 tapes, and that costs a lot of money with the shipping. And back then it was VHS. I know. Oh, wow. That's old school. I know. I so. Even know what VHS is exactly like I'm, they've probably heard of it. So the VHS and but I mean I'm only 35, but I guess VHS was still around. And um, I sent out probably a hundred and got like maybe three or four calls. 
And I took one in Monroe, Louisiana, which is a population of 30,000 people. Wow. So how did, where did the passion come from though? Like where did the inspiration come from that you wanted to be a reporter? You know, I've always been the personality of, I, I feel this like burning desire to right the wrongs of the world. And I've always felt that. And I've also always been in- incredibly inquisitive and driven. And I just always wanted to know the real answers to things. And I always was looking into deeper meanings to things like, oh, that's what they say, but what is the reality? You know, so was, I already had like a, a reporter journalist, like, personality of the inquisitive side. But to be honest, my mom, my mom and dad separated when I was like seven. So my mom was working full time raising four kids by herself. And that means as the youngest of four, I didn't have much time, much attention paid to me. Um, Obviously, you know, she didn't, there's only so many hours in a day, and she's working to put food on the table. So I realized at the end of the day, the one hour she would pay full attention to was the news. And so I would remember being like sitting on the floor watching the news with her, which I shouldn't have been watching at that age. Um, You know, it was like death and destruction. And she would give full attention. I mean, you couldn't, there was nothing that could be happening around her that would break her attention from the local news. And it was like, you know, five or six o'clock every night. And I would hear her, I would see her watching it. And she would also be talking to herself. Like she would see something awful and she'd go, Oh, Ave Maria, no lo creo. You know, and she would just like have comments like, I can't believe that, how disgusting or whatever. And it was just, I wanted to be the woman on the TV so that she could pay attention to me like that and just uh, get her to respect me the way that she was respecting that newscast, you know? And it worked. (laughs) It worked. She was so proud when I got my first news job. But you you started doing the news and then I, you didn't really like it. How long did it re- did it take you to realize that wasn't what you wanted to be doing? Um, I mean, two years in Louisiana was the most brutal two years of my life. I made $19,000 a year. Um, and so it was, I barely ate at, and my mom wasn't able to help me. So it was just very hard to get through those two years in, in um, complete poverty it would be weird. I was on the air on live television one second, hair done, makeup done. You know, of course we have to do it ourselves. So it's not like that glamorous, but you know, you look great. You're on TV and you come home to no air conditioning in your apartment, you know, type of complete poverty, you know, complete, um, just very small means to survive on. So it was like the, the, the comparison of my life was very drastic, you know? I would never have guessed that. Is that how it is even today? Yeah, even to this day, if you're an aspiring news anchor or news reporter, you have to take a very low paying job and then you pay your dues for, I was lucky, I only had to pay my dues for two years and then I got a job here in Orlando, which was about 120 market jump. Because every city in America is judged by the Nielsen ratings by market size, meaning how much is the population. So I was 140 market in Louisiana, and then I went like to market number 30. So that never happens. Usually you have to go market 140, then market 100, then market 80, then market 60, you know, and so you're moving all around America. But I was lucky. I like to say I was talented enough, but some people say I was just lucky. Um yeah, to go that quickly back to my hometown. How did you do it though? Like, was it networking? Was it, I mean, I, there was obviously talent there, but how were you able to make that jump? 
Um, I think it was a little bit of networking for sure. Um, I interned at CBS, the Orlando station. So I had somewhat of a contact with these people here in Orlando. And so when it was time, when I had put in my two years, I was able to send the tapes over and be like, Hey, remember me, the intern from, you know, whatever I was bugging everybody. And I never, there were other interns there when I was interning and they just sat around, you know, and they didn't do anything. They were just getting their credits. Cause of course you get credits for internships. And so they were just not doing anything. And I just remember being like, what's wrong with these people? Like, how are you going to get a job if you don't have a demo reel? And how are you going to get a demo reel if you don't hound people to let you go out with them on the scene and hound the photographers to help you out? I mean, it's not easy hounding people. It's embarrassing. And yeah, I was just hustling and I didn't, I didn't, I cared, but I didn't, it didn't matter to me if it was embarrassing and you had to humble yourself and swallow your pride and beg people to help you. And then eventually when you, when you come to where you've been trying to go, you look back and you're like, well, I'm not so embarrassed now, am I, you know, collecting that big paycheck. So you just hustle. That's all. You just have to hustle harder than everyone else around you pretty much. And I always did that. Always. I think that's so important in any creative field that you're in. And a lot of people, a lot of people think there's such thing as overnight success because they don't see the hustle in the background that went on, but it, it exists and people are putting in the time and effort and hitting that pavement hard every day. Every day. And that's the other thing people are like, you know, hit it hard, hit it hard, hit it hard. And then you get sick of it, you get tired, you get discouraged, you have a setback, whatever it is. And that's when a lot of people get weeded out. And the ones who rise to the top are the ones who get back up after a loss, you know, and keep going, even though there's not like any real reason to keep going. (laughs) And, you know, that's the ones, those are the ones who make it really. And you also have to have talent. You can't just hustle your way to the top. Unfortunately, it, it should be just hard work that matters, but it's not. You have to have the talent, the drive, and you know the perseverance to where you don't give up when things get hard. And you're able to just have grit. A lot of people don't have grit these days. Well, because social media exists, right? So we don't think we need it. We just think we can just post things on social media and go viral and become famous. No, and it doesn't work like that. You might be famous for 15 minutes, but the, the real long lasting you know, success is people and a lot of these younger people do not have the grit. You need to be able to live on $19,000 a year and swallow your pride and just do it. And just shut up about it. I'm so sick of hearing everybody come. I can't live off twenty thousand a year, whatever your first job may pay out of college. Who's going to take a job for th- now? It'll be like I can't take a job for thirty five thousand dollars a year, and I just want to slap them and be like, "You have no leg to stand on right now." You know, like you take what you get and you go from there. And it's you know to even hear people talk like that straight out of college, trying to get into show business. It's just like. Okay, if you if you're graduating with an accounting degree, maybe you can hustle, you know, for a little bit more money because you're going to have different options because it's accounting, you know, like and people need that. People don't need another person trying to get into show business. They don't. We have a thousand of them for every one job available. So it's like you take what you can get to get your foot in the door. I would have worked for free you know, to come back home to Orlando, I would have worked for free. I would have worked for a very small stipend just to come home. You know, and in my internship, I wanted this Orlando internship so bad while I was in college that I commuted two hours every day, every single day. So did you have your like career planned out? Did you know, taking that internship that you were hoping to open doors to come back to work for them full time? 
Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, how am I going to get my foot in the door if they've never even seen me? Whereas as an intern, not only was I doing what I had to do to get the internship, but then while there, I, I made it impossible not to see me. And people noticed me as an intern. Oh, yeah, that intern, Laura. You know, I was always hustling to get them whatever story they needed to break. I remember when um, there was a this is back when do you remember when like the beheadings were happening all the time in the Middle East? Mm-hmm. Yes. It was when, oh my gosh, the terrorist thing started to become a big deal. And um, these beheadings were happening on, what is it, um, Al Jazeera TV. And so they would do these beheadings live on the internet. And the news stations would try and figure out, they had to like figure out which website it was happening on because it wasn't just common knowledge. And so I was able to have a boyfriend of mine hack in and figure out which website it was. And, and of course, I came and I was the savior and I had the website. And we all sat around and watched a beheading live. Wow. And how did that impact you? Oh, it was awful. I mean, but then it also, again, it gave me grit. It gave mm-hmm. me the tools to be able to handle very heavy, very real things that I was going to have to deal with on a daily basis as a journalist anyway. So why would I shy away from it as an intern if I knew this is the career I've chosen is watching a beheading? I mean, that's just what I have signed up for. I've had to deal with rapes, murders, child abuse, you know, had to look child abusers in the eye and talk to them and try to remain impartial. These are things that I signed up for. Out of all of those, what's the worst? What's the one that gave you the biggest creeps? It was probably the child abusers. Whenever you get the, the news on TV or in print, you're usually just hearing what what is allowed to be reported, you know? And unfortunately, we've the person writing it or reporting it on TV has heard 10 times more than you're hearing. So we have to go through the police reports and read every sorted, disgusting, disturbing detail. And that that's hard to go home after a full day of that. And then just go home and just be a regular person. Like who wants to go to happy hour and get drinks, you know? Yeah. So how did you cope with it? What were your coping mechanisms? I've never had coping mechanisms. Never. I've always been a hot mess. And I, I, I drank heavily always. And, you know, to be honest, I've just, I coped with drugs and alcohol. And I've had a really hard time with that. Yeah. So I read, I actually read your blog too. And you had mentioned that you were sober you said, did you start drinking before you became a TV reporter? Or was that a, was that a byproduct of what you were seeing? Um, I was always a heavy drinker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always, even before I became a reporter in college, of course, even in high school, I was drinking. So, I mean, I think I've always had a drinking issue. I'm more of a binge drinker than an everyday drinker. And, um, when, you know, as a reporter, it just, it just was exacerbated by a million to come home after one of those child abuser stories or whatever. And then you just, you can't turn your mind off. So I would just drink and then pass out and then wake up and do it all over again, you know, and have to hear about some other awful story. And after doing that for, so after Louisiana, I got a job in Orlando and I was there for four years and it was the same thing, just a bigger paycheck, you know? So it was the same awful stuff every single day. And as the drinking got worse and, you know, the pills to go to sleep, pills to wake up in the morning, cause you had taken a pill to go to sleep. You just have to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, can I, can I maintain this my whole life? And of course the answer was an overwhelming. No, you can't, you can't live like that. And I, I even had a phone interview with CNN um, at one point and I had to tell them, no, thank you for the second one. And it was that just because you were done? 
So when, once I, because my ultimate goal was always, even from a child, was to be on CNN. That was it. I wanted to live in New York and be on CNN. And once I got a phone interview with CNN and I didn't want it, that's when I knew I was done. Yeah. I mean, that was my goal for 20 years. And all of a sudden, here it is right in front of me. And it was kind of the last thing I actually wanted. And I was like, all right, I think this career is over for me. So something else you had mentioned is that you had moved up really quickly. Um, yeah. And you were really young. So do you feel like if you had done it again, maybe five or 10 years later, you would have had a different reaction? Um, no, I mean, I don't think there's ever any good age to hear and, and immerse yourself in that kind of topic. You know, um, I, I was 24 when I made it to like a market top 30 market on TV. So I was so young, 24 years old. And I was a news anchor in Orlando, Florida. It was just crazy. I was the youngest in my newsroom by a mile. And other people hated me because of it. And a lot of the other anchors and reporters just thought, you know, I just got it because I was a Latina or because I would, I would take lower pay than they would because I was so young or whatever their reasons that they thought I got it. Um, and so it was tough I, to be hated by everybody. Yeah. And how did you defend yourself or did you not? I didn't. I really didn't. No. I would hear about things uh, th- that people would say behind my back. And I just, I thought, you know, the best revenge is living well. And, um, I'm on the anchor desk and they're not, you know, I'm on the anchor desk having to toss questions to them out in the middle of a hurricane. So that was my revenge. You know, the same people that were dogging crap were the ones out, you know, waiting for the perp to walk into the jail. And I'm over here like, tell me, how's it going out there? You know? (laughs) So it's like in my head, I could be like, yeah, that's right. Cause you're out there and I'm in here. Did you ever think that once you made it to that level, you were in Orlando, you were at a news reporter, anchor, I mean, you had a really coveted job. Did you ever think race was going to play an issue? I knew that people were, no matter whether it did help me or not, I knew that people were going to think it did. So, you know, Laura Diaz, who's Hispanic, who this employer is able to check off on their, you know, what is it, EEOC or whatever, um, their quotas for affirmative action and all that, um, I knew that they, people were going to assume that that's why I got a better chance than they did in their mind. So it, I, I wouldn't let it bother me because um, whether they did you know, look at me as a token or not didn't matter to me because here I am. So <laughs> I can't sit here and wonder you know, why I got to where I got as fast as I did because I'm going to say it was talent and grit and all the things I told you about. And they're going to be able to say something else to feel better about how not far along they are in their career. Yeah, no, that's a really good way to look at it. For somebody to assume that somehow your race helped you ascend in your career is so incredibly diminishing and condescending because you're now completely taking away all of the hard work I've put in. Yes. Um, You're taking away everything I've done that you haven't done to get here. And you're just, you're completely putting me in one little, you know, Latina box and that's it. That's the end of that. And that's why you can't get further ahead. Okay. If that's what you need to say to yourself to accept the fact that you're a complete loser, then say it. You know, I don't care if that's what you have to say. Here's the reality. I speak Spanish. You don't, you know? So it's like all of these, you know, people who didn't speak Spanish hating on me was such a joke to me because guess who they would call when there was a story and there was only Spanish speakers on the scene. They called me 
And I had to go out there and help them translate their interview because they couldn't do it. And so it's like, I would just look them right in the face and be like, oh, you need me because there's a skill that you don't have and you can't <laughs> properly do your job without me. Okay. Just making sure that we we know exactly what's going on right now. And then you decided one day you didn't want to do it anymore. So, and you said something around the, something around the fact of like another 10 years and you didn't want to be too far in your career to make a switch. So, so what happened at that moment? Yeah, I was 28 years old. And I was ready to get out of TV news. I was done. I was like, okay. And I, you know, I'm a very extreme person, as you could probably tell. And so I looked at my husband. I was a newlywed. We just got married. And I said, I can't do this anymore. And I'm willing to work at a nonprofit. I had been volunteering my time at a couple of nonprofits that I really believed in. And I, you know, I I said to him, I'm ready to work there for 30,000 a year or whatever they pay people who work at nonprofits. I was like, I'm ready to work there because it fulfills me. And it gives me purpose and I feel life and when I'm there helping people and I'm good at it than to help this station here that, you know, is doing nothing but scaring people <laughs> every night for no reason. You left the news and then this is what I heard. And I don't know how much of this is true. You were in Orlando and there's a radio show called the, called Johnny's House and you heard they were looking for someone. So without knowing anyone really there to connect with or network, you sent Johnny an email and said, can I come join your radio show? Is that true? Um, yeah, I knew nothing. I knew nothing um, about the people who worked on the radio show. But I thought, wow, that's they talk about, you know, bad dates and stuff. And I thought, hey, that would be a way easier um, content matter, subject matter to talk about on a daily basis than what I was doing. And I thought it's somewhat media related. Um, it's radio, not TV. But hey, it's all the same, really, at the end of the day, it's show business. And so I actually sent the host of the show a tweet, to be honest with you. And I was drunk. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was really drunk. Um, big shocker. And I was at the end of my rope at my current job. And I sent him a tweet and he sent a tweet back. And then, you know, it went back and forth via email. And he said, oh, you have a current job. I said, I'm quitting anyway. I told him, I was like, I'm on my way to quit. So um, don't worry about that. And I, I put in my letter of resignation into my job. And um, they were like, I don't think so. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. And I basically begged them. And they made me wait a whole week, seven days to sleep on it because my general manager said that I wasn't thinking straight. Um, so no, and then I had to actually quit because of contractual reasons. I had to quit and, and have no job, um, just to audition for the radio job. So I, I quit without knowing if I had the radio job. That's scary. Yeah. But I, I knew again in life, you have to take giant risks. If you're expecting to be any kind of success, you cannot, things just don't fall into your lap. You have to risk a lot. And so I did it. I risked it and it worked out. I auditioned. It was very smooth. I My last day on TV was a Friday and my first day in radio was that Monday. Wow, that's fast. Yeah. So what was the audition? You just had to go in for a couple I had hours. to go on air. And I had to go live on the air with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I did. And, and to see if there was any chemistry and everything else, I had to be live on air. Could I talk on the radio? Could I be interesting? Could I be funny? Could I be any of these things? Uh, because being a news anchor is not funny. And no. it's not, it's not interesting. And a lot of these news anchors are very stuffy and boring. And, um, 
just too buttoned up, you know, and to be on the radio, you just have to be loose and fun and uh, be able to talk about things that are uncomfortable sometimes, um, like sex and, you know, whatever it is. And so I was just able to just do that right away. So how is it being on the radio in, in the sense that you're like a, you're a big, pers- you're a big personality in Orlando, a celebrity, and I, I'm sure you get trolls. How do you handle the trolls? Oh, I don't give a rat's ass about them. <laughs> I mean, not even in the least. I, I've had everything. So in TV, they're way worse. Um, they insult your looks. They insult everything. Your voice. They insult everything in TV. So by the time I got to radio, it's like, oh, bring it on. <laughs> you know. So like when you became a TV reporter, there was like a lot of people saying you were there because you were Hispanic. Did you ever feel that you were looked down upon because of your gender or your race in radio? Of course. Yeah. Same thing. It was just like, oh, they needed the Hispanic. They needed the, um, and they still, you know, radio is like everyone wants the Hispanic on the uh, show because there's such a huge Hispanic population in Orlando. Um, so I wouldn't, if someone even said that, I wouldn't even argue with them, to be honest. I, I would just be like, no, you're, you're probably right. And wow, lucky for me, huh? <laughs> you know, like sucks to be you um, because I'm more valuable than you are. Yeah. And, and that's it. You know, I can't help my race. I can't. And I look, quote unquote, look very white girl, like, you know, blonde, blue eyes, very, very fair skin. Um, so I've kind of been in a weird gender crisis. I mean, not gender. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, wait, is there something you haven't told me, Laura? Yeah, right. No, <laughs> I'm transitioning. Um <laughs> No, I've been in an identity crisis for my whole life where it's like, am I like super white girl American or am I Hispanic? I don't know because my parents like roast pigs in the backyard in a big pit, you know, with an apple in its mouth, which is super Puerto Rican. But then, you know, I was born in Orlando and like, I just have nothing but white girl friends. So it was just always like this weird, where do I belong? Always my whole life. I never really belonged anywhere, which actually I think led really made an advantage for me because I was able to just be um, very, I would, I could adapt so quickly to different surroundings and different situations. So what other challenges do you feel like you have faced in your creative journey? God, probably um, the biggest one was becoming a mother for sure. Um, When you're in showbiz and you're like, okay, you have to be this hot thing that's always relevant and always, um, you know, on top of everything, you have to look good, you have to be cool, you have to guys want to have to be with you and girls have to want to be you. And it's just like this weird place when all you really want to do is go home in your sweatpants, eat bonbons (laughs) and, you know, feed feed your baby, you know, like you just want to be a mom, a brand new mom, especially being a new mom, that was so hard. And um, the schedule is very difficult. I have to be at work at 4am every day. Um, so that's really hard. It's also really hard trying to move up and trying to create an even bigger career for myself and my family when you're a mom, because then that takes more time away from your kids. So it's, that's the biggest challenge. Was that a deciding factor? Like when you were going to have your first child, were you thinking about that? Like, will it impact my career growth? Oh yeah, for sure. And I knew it would. Um, and then I had a second child and I knew that was going to be even harder, but now that I'm done having kids, um, I, I think, okay, well, Laura, you're a feminist, you're, um, a big advocate for equal rights. You have to be okay with giving your husband the home, um, control, you know, and you have to be okay with your husband being there for them and you being the working party. 
And so I think it was just so hard for me. It's so funny. I preach it, but I couldn't live it. And um, he's a stay-at-home dad. He takes care of the school lunches. He goes to the PTA meetings. He does everything that uh, t- traditionally the mom would do. And it was hard for me to to switch those roles. So how do you feel like all these experiences that you've had through your career have helped shape you? Um, I mean, obviously, just incredibly. I mean, I've had so much success over my um, span of my career that actually now that I'm in a point where I'm trying to see what's next, what's my next move um, career wise, I want to, you know, be have my own show, my own female led show. And now I'm scared. I'm scared that I won't be able to do it. I'm scared that I'll try I'll somehow figure out a way to do it and then fail at it. Um, I'm scared that, um, this might be the end of the road for me. Like maybe it's, maybe I'm just at a point where I have to get out and just be a regular person. God forbid. It's funny to hear you say fail though, because you, you sound so confident in what I know of you. You're such a confident person. Why would you be scared that you would fail? Because I've never failed. And so I think that, and my husband was even like saying, he's like, God, Laura, you, you've just never failed. And so I think you're so scared. I'm like, no, he's exactly right. I've never, there's never been something I've put my mind to in life and haven't done it. And so, um, and haven't seen it through and, and been successful at it. So I think I'm just so scared to take the next step of my career because I'm older now. I have two kids now. I have a lot more to lose now. And I've never had anything to lose before. So I was able to take really crazy risks. Um, and so I'm just, I'm in a weird point right now because because of so much success one after another, it's actually put me in a place where I'm paralyzed with fear of not continuing my streak. So what advice do you have for our listeners? Take the fear and the haters and all of the doubt that you have on yourself and that other people have on you and just channel it, like figure out a way to channel the fear into something um, that will get you closer to your goal, you know, and that's what I'm currently trying to do. Um, So we'll see how it works out. But for sure, I would say my haters and my doubters all my life has have completely fueled me. Let's transition into the lightning round. So the lightning round is I'm going to ask you five questions, rapid fire, and just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Question one, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Ignore the haters. Number two, what is your, or who is your biggest advocate? My husband. Question three, who inspires you and why? My husband, (laughs) because he's so nice. And I don't know where I don't know how to be that way. Um, He's so compassionate. I'm not that Um, he puts up with me. I'm a basket case. And he's very forgiving and empathetic, all things that I don't have. Mm -hmm. So he inspires me to be a better person. And I inspire him to stop being so lazy. So it's a perfect match. What's a habit that's helped you on your journey? Doing it when you don't want to. And then what do you want your legacy to be? That I was unapologetic. I love that. I love that coming from a strong female person. I love that. Don't apologize for anything. So if our listeners want to find out more about you or get in touch, how can they do that, Laura? I have uh, all social medias. My email is faceofafeminist at gmail.com. Um, but I have a website, faceofafeminist.com. On there, faceofafeminist.com, you can find my podcasts. Um, there's a podcast page. There's a contact me page. So pretty much everything on faceofafeminist.com. 
Awesome. Cool. Well, Laura, thank you so much for coming in today. You're so welcome, Shireen. You're the best. Hey, before you hit pause, did you find this episode helpful and enjoyable? If so, could you leave an Apple podcast, aka iTunes review? It'll take you less than one minute and mean the world to me. The more ratings and reviews the show gets, the more people are able to find this podcast. If you're unsure how to leave a review, no worries. If you're on your iPhone or iPad, go to the homepage of this show and scroll down to write a review. Click on it and you'll be able to rate and review the show. If you're on a Mac from iTunes, go to the show homepage and on the top, click ratings and reviews. Also, please subscribe to get the latest episodes once they drop. If you enjoyed the episode and know someone who would love it, please share. From your iPhone, click on the icon with three dots and then share via social media, email, or text. If you want to hear more, head over to funnybrowngirl.com forward slash podcast. You can also find me online. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Funny Brown Girl. Also, sign up for my free newsletter for more tips to advance your creative journey at funnybrowngirl.com forward slash subscribe. And again, if you enjoyed the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Now, go flex your creative muscle and keep winning. Thank you for listening. See you next week.